Exodus, there we go, 13, as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, Old Testament, you know where it's at, chapter 13. Turn there, and then I want to announce just a couple things that we got coming up, Saturday morning, ladies, ladies breakfast that my wife is hosting, uh, you don't know where we live, there are maps to my uh, house uh, at the information desk, and then also if you want to sign up, that'll help us plan for how many chairs I need to sit out and how much coffee you need to make on Saturday morning at 8.30. So uh, ladies, take a look at that, and we'd love to see you come on out to the house on Saturday morning. Sunday mornings, uh, 8.30, 10.30, as we'll continue our study in Matthew's Gospel. And we finished the Sermon on the Mount last week, and we'll be in Chapter 8 as we see Jesus continuing in his Galilean ministry. And then also, um, I just want to remind you that a week from Sunday the 8th is going to be uh, an outdoor service. We're going to have a big tent set up outside, so there will be shade out there, 10 o'clock. And uh, it's going to be a family service, and so uh, that's what we're looking forward to, guys and uh, whoever there is a sign-up for if you'd like to help come in at 8 that morning and help set up chairs. We're going to be taking all these chairs out and in the coffee shop out there and set up and, uh, and uh, setting up for uh, also barbecue afterwards. And uh, so we're going to provide the hamburgers and hot dogs. And, and, um, and if you want to bring a side dish to share with people, that's fine. We'll have some plug-ins if you've got a, a, you know, a crock pot or need to keep something warm. Um, we got a little room in the refrigerator, uh, but um, some room. So anyway, um, you might want to bring a cooler if you need to keep something cool for that um, service. And then afterwards, we'll get everything ready. So we'll have some pictures running here uh, from the projector of the last 12 years, pictures of uh, different individuals and the ministry and the things that have taken place. And so that's always fun to watch. So we're really looking forward to that. And then also, don't forget, Vacation Bible School, Be Strong in the Lord. That's going to begin the next day, Monday the 9th, uh, and will run through Thursday the 12th. And it will be from 9.30 to noon for four-year-olds through fifth grade. And uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, be praying for that, pre-registration. If you'd like to pre-register your children, that will help us in the next week or so plan for how many kids to get ready for. And um, But, you know, if you don't, just come anyway. If you can come for a couple of days, that's fine as well. But take some of those pre-registration forms as well. If you got other people, um, family members or neighborhood kids that want to uh, pre-register and bring them back, and uh, we'll get that um, all ready to go for Monday morning on the 9th. And so be in prayer for the kids. Uh, as we minister to them during Vacation Bible School. They'll be doing games, uh, they'll be doing crafts and uh, having a lesson and doing worship, and it's always a great time for the kids, um, Vacation Bible School. So a lot going on over the next couple weeks. Uh, There is the cookbooks out there, and uh, it's a fundraiser for the high schoolers going to watch for a uh, missions trip there, and we've, we've talked about that, and so we're excited for the kids that are going to be going cookbook is very nice. Sue has been making some of the recipes that you've put in there, and they've been very, very good. So we've enjoyed it and had some nice dinners lately. And so uh, you'll benefit from that cookbook that's out there um, in their $10 a piece. Um, I know I'm forgetting probably something else, but uh, be sure to look at your bulletin and uh, everything that's in there, not while I'm teaching, but afterwards, and uh, be reminded of those things. And the webpage always is updating all those events that are going on, but that's the main thing. Breakfast Saturday morning, 
and then we'll get ready um, for Vacation Bible School and the one-year anniversary. Oh, I know. Uh, also, for you who are signing up for uh, the help to, to not only um, to, to set up for the, the service on the 8th, that Sunday, uh, but also to um, put things back together uh, afterwards. But if any of you guys have a, a barbecue that we can borrow, um, that would be great if we can get, you know, four or five going at once. And, and uh, the youth are going to help, and they'll be kind of starting to do that while the service is going on so we're not waiting for two hours for hamburgers and hot dogs to be cooked. All right, so that would be great. If anyone um, be willing to do that and bring that, uh, talk with Pastor Darrell, and uh, he'll give you all the info you need to know, and thank you, and, and um, we'll look forward to that. All right? So, Father, we ask that you would just bless this time right now. As we study your word, we thank you that... Um, the wonderful things that we have to look forward to is we've never now entered into unofficially summer, but uh, as kids are out of school and there's a lot of activity going on, Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we would just continue to just uh, keep priority you and learning of you. And, and Lord, um, that's what we desire to do right now is to make application tonight as we read uh, these chapters here in the book of Exodus knowing that it's more than a history lesson. Lord, you desire to speak to us directly and how we can, Lord, know you better and love you more and live for you. And so we give you this time in the study of your word. We ask that you would teach us as we open our ears and hearts to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, where we've been, of course, we have seen that the plagues have come down upon Egypt as God told the uh, children of Israel that I'm going to redeem you uh, by my power with a, an outstretched arm. And we have seen that as nine plagues came, the tenth plague was the one that finally Pharaoh said, as we saw last week, the death of the firstborn, that you can go. No more compromise, but take your stuff. And it was the Lord that had prepared the children of Israel for that night. He said to them, you go to the Egyptians, and you ask for silver and gold, and so that's what the Egyptians would do. Give them silver and gold. They were very prosperous at this time. They were at the, the height of their uh, power and prestige as an empire in the world. And so it was like back payment for 400 years of slavery and being in bondage to the Egyptians. And the Lord told them as he would institute Passover. You recall chapter 12 as we saw not only the 10th plague that would come, the death of the firstborn, but in that, the Lord instituted the Passover feast. And so he told them the beginning of months is going to be a bid, and that is that you are going to take on the tenth of that month a lamb that is without spot or blemish, and you are to keep that lamb until the fourteenth of the month. And so chapter 12, as I mentioned last week, and as we saw very clearly, was a beautiful picture, a portrait of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church. You see, Jesus, he was that without spot or blemish, wasn't he? As he was the only man that has ever lived that was uh, lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect submission and in obedience and in harmony with the Father. He was sinless. And so he would be the one, uh, the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed for us for our sins. And we have been redeemed as he outstretched his arms 
on Calvary's cross. And so it was a beautiful picture that we saw. And of course, they were to take the blood of the lamb and they were to apply it on the doorposts and the lintels. And then when the angel of the Lord passed over, thus the name Passover, and saw the blood applied, then they did not experience death in that house. And of course, as we come in faith to Jesus Christ, recognizing who he is, that you are the Son of God, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, I am a sinner, I need to be redeemed from the world. And, and Lord, forgive me my sins as we come in belief and in faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done in dying for our sins, who he is, the Son of God, that he's alive, that we are redeemed. And, and as we apply the blood of Jesus in our lives by faith, then we have eternal life, salvation, and forgiveness of sin. So that beautiful picture that we saw that how we need to be redeemed and the way that we are redeemed is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the Passover would be instant. But also we saw that immediately on the 14th of the month, after that evening to the 21st of the month, would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it would be seven days where they would celebrate that feast. But what they were to do in the Feast of Unleavened Bread is that they were to take all the leaven out of the house. They were not to bake any of their bread with leaven. And of course, leaven would be put into the bread so that the bread would rise. But we know that in the scriptures that leaven speaks of evil, speaks of sin. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he said, don't you guys know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So you need to get rid of the leaven. You need to get rid of the sin. Purge it out of you. Purge it out of the church. And so we see in the scripture that you and I, and Exodus reminds us in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that just as they were to go throughout their houses and get rid of all the leaven, not eat anything, any bread that had leaven in it for one week, that you and I as Christians, after we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and come to him by faith, we see that as it was the Lord that said to them, in the beginning of your months shall be a bid. And of course, there's new beginnings for you and me as we come to Jesus Christ in faith, isn't there? A new beginning. As Paul would write in Ephesians, that we were dead spiritually in our trespasses and sin, but God has made us alive. He has rescued us. It was Jesus that said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that which is born in the flesh is flesh, but that which is born in the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. And so as we are born again by the spirit of God, as we come to Jesus in faith, there's a new beginning in our lives. All things become new. We're a new creation in Christ, aren't we? And so we, the way that we live and the way that we think, and our conduct and in our speech is totally different than the world, isn't it? And so we are to live for the Lord, and the Lord desires for us to live for Him, to walk after Him. And so in our own homes, in our own lives, we are to purge out the leaven. That is, that we are to be ones that desire to live in holiness, to live for Him. And so in our homes, Lord, I don't want anything in my house because my house is to be one. For me and my house, we're going to serve you, Lord be dedicated to you, and we're going to, to honor you in our homes. And so we want to purge out the leaven out of our homes and out of our hearts and our own lives individually. And so wonderful pictures that we saw. And so the regulations were given to us concerning the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then in chapter 13 now, we're going to see that the Exodus is going to begin. But in chapter 13, the Lord, after he had taken uh, the firstborn in Egypt, now God comes to his people, the children of Israel, and says, the firstborn is going to belong to me. 
beast and animal. They're going to be consecrated to me. So verse, or chapter 13, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And then in verses 3 through 10, we see that he's going to reiterate again the regulations of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abid, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. In verse 6, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. In verse 10, you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Now you may be wondering, why are we going through this again? We just saw the regulations in chapter 12. And now chapter 13, the Lord uh, is repeating himself in his word as we see again the regulations of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's a couple things that, that we need to keep in mind. First of all, that when the Lord repeats something in the scripture, it's like he's saying, remember this. This is important. I want you to get this down. Okay, here's the regulations. Here's the feast. This is what the feast is to be about. I'm going to repeat it again to you, and we're going to see that the Lord's going to continue as we go through these books of the Bible in the Old Testament. He's going to reiterate again the Feast of Unleavened Bread to them. But whenever the scripture repeats something, the Lord wants us to remember it. It's like he's saying, don't forget, this is important, get it down. And it's like my children, I have to repeat things to them which are important over and over again so they don't forget. So as Christians, we have a tendency to forget. And he says, I want you to do this year after year. So when your son asks you, why are you doing this? You can tell them what I have done for you, that I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand, how I have redeemed you, and, I, and that I'm going to give you the land of the Canaanites as I swore to your fathers, that is to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to keep my promises. And again, I want to remind us, as we talked about last week, I think it's so important that we talk to our children about how you know God has saved us and how he has rescued us and forgiven us and how you know the Lord has worked mightily for us in redeeming us and how the Lord is faithful as we have testimony to them how faithful the Lord has been in, in keeping his promises to us in our lives and we need to share that with their children with anybody that we can just sharing with them uh, the redemption of the Lord that is available to us the goodness of the Lord how he keeps his promises how with an outstretched arm that that he works for us and he keeps his promises that are established uh, in our lives, that are declared to us in our lives. And so um, it's important for us to do that. So this is a memorial. Get rid of the leaven in the house um, and get it out of your homes and uh, do this from year to year. And again, 
as you look at the history of the children of Israel, that they really didn't celebrate the feast a whole lot that's recorded in the Old Testament because many of those years they were going after the false idols and the false worship. And so the Lord would come back to them and through the prophets that you read in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the other prophets in the Old Testament, they would come and speak to the people and say, turn back to the Lord. Don't you remember? Don't you remember how the Lord brought you out of Egypt? And he parted the Red Sea, which we're going to see in the next chapter. How he drowned the Egyptian army. How he gave you the land of the Canaanites, a good land flowing with milk and honey. What he has done for you. And so we, in the New Testament, we have a memorial, don't we? And it's the Lord's table. As we come to communion. And it would be Jesus that, on that night that he was betrayed, would take that bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he would take the cup after supper, the cup of the new covenant in his blood, and he would say, take and drink. And this is done in remembrance of me. And so we take of those elements as we do as we will this Sunday and as we will do next Wednesday, customarily the first Sunday and Wednesday of the month, and we take of the bread remembering Jesus' body being broken for us, the sufferings that he went through, and, and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Do this often in remembrance of me. And we come together corporately to the communion table. And we come together as one, remembering that Jesus' work on the cross. And it's a reason that we can be here and celebrate our salvation. It's a reason that we're the, a family of God. It's a reason that we're saved. And so it's important for us to remember what Jesus has done in our lives and to continue to share that with others. And so it was to be a memorial, um, this feast, and be celebrated, this feast of unleavened bread from year to year. And so verse 11 through 16, we see now the law of the firstborn, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I will sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes, for the strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And so we see the law of the firstborn. We'll see it more in detail as we get into the book of Numbers and also in the book of Deuteronomy as well. And so uh, you might be thinking, what is this all about? The Lord is saying the firstborn belongs to me of male and of beast. And he mentions the donkey here specifically. Now, a donkey was an unclean animal. Um, it could not be sacrificed. It had to be redeemed by a lamb. Now, even though a donkey was considered unclean, it was very useful to the people of Israel, wasn't it? Because a donkey, it would be used for transportation. You, could, you can put somebody and ride a donkey. Um, it could be used to carry cargo or 
um, you know, carry um, different kinds of loads of food or whatever it might be used for. A uh, donkey could even be used in, in some aspects out in the field. So even though it was considered unclean, and as you think about a donkey, and I was thinking about this today, and I think a donkey, you know, a donkey, um, you know, they're stubborn. They're not all that smart. They're, they're not all that pretty looking at all. You redeem that donkey with a lamb. And I think, you know what, as, as I thought about it, I'm a little bit like a donkey, I think. I mean, I can be real stubborn. I know I'm not all that pretty. And I know I'm not all that smart. But I am so thankful that I've been redeemed by the Lamb. And I am so thankful that the Lord desires to use this donkey and it would be Jesus that would get on a donkey, wouldn't he, on the Mount of Olives. And he would ride down the Mount of Olives and over to Kidron Valley and, and into Jerusalem as people were waving their palm branches and laying down their clothes on the road and they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you see, the people didn't say, oh, what a beautiful donkey. Isn't that a cool donkey? Man, look at the donkey that Jesus is riding. They were giving praise and glory to Jesus. And I am so thankful that he has seen me as he chooses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world. And he has redeemed me. And he desires to work in my life to where I can be used of him, but not to bring glory to me, but to bring glory to him. That people may honor the Lord and draw close to the Lord and come to know him and say, Wow, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I'm so thankful he desires to use us and us who can be so stubborn and not so smart at times, but, but the Lord has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of, of God. And so the sons redeemed. Of course, there would be no human sacrifice. And it's interesting because Numbers chapter 18, verse 16 will tell us that the sons would be redeemed before five, uh, from five shekels of silver. So five shekels of silver would be given to the Lord to redeem the sons. And silver in the Old Testament is a metal of redemption. You see, we'll see that. We'll see that gold is a metal of perfection and deity. We'll see that brass is a metal of judgment, the, the altar that we'll see the tabernacles made um, there in the outer court is going to be the altar of sacrifice where they did the sacrifices. It speaks of judgment. We know that it would be Moses, he's going to lift up a serpent, a brass serpent on a pole. And Jesus said just to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'm going to receive the judgment for you as I hang on that pole, that cross of Calvary. So it speaks of judgment. Silver speaks of redemption. And in Numbers chapter 10, it would be Moses that was told to make two silver trumpets and then you're going to blow these trumpets a certain way and we'll talk about it when we get there to Numbers chapter 10 and it was a message that was to be proclaimed it, it, you know trumpets are used to communicate messages even today so these two silver trumpets when they were blown a certain way it was to communicate a message to God's people and God is trumpeting a message to us here tonight that I have redeemed you and I want to use you not with silver and gold, as Peter writes in his, his epistle. Not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. 
And so this too was to be observance, a continual observance, how God brought them out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. And then we see that they get ready as they are now leaving finally Egypt after 430 years, verse 17. And then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of land of the Philistines, although it was near, for God said, let Perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Atham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. In verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so we see here that the Lord would take the children of Israel that were in Succoth, which is in the northern region there of Egypt along the Nile River. The shortest route would have been just to go along that the Mediterranean, the coast there. There was a major military highway. They know that from ancient times. It was a major route for military of the Egyptians they would use and also a trade route. And so they could have just gone right up along the coast into that area of the promised land, but it was Philistine country. Now, of course, the Philistines were one of the major enemies of the children of Israel when they went into the promised land. And we see the battles that, uh, that Saul would have the first king of Israel and then also following him David would have against the Philistines so they were a constant enemy of Israel in the Old Testament times and so the Lord says I'm going to take you by way of the wilderness that is that desert by the Red Sea I'm not going to take them up by way of the Philistines because if they see those Philistines and some of those Philistines were pretty big and they had some major cities there they're going to freak out and they're going to, you know, see that there's going to be war and, and, um, and they're not going to be able to handle it. So they're going to go by way of wilderness. They're going to go to the mountain of God. They're going to receive the law of God. Now notice here that um, as they would go, that they would go in orderly ranks, as it tells us here um, there um, in verse 18. And so it wasn't as we have read, you know, Passover night, eat your Passover, eat the lamb and partake of Passover, put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels, but you do it with staff in hand, sandals on your feet, and a belt around your waist because you're going to have to go in haste. And Pharaoh's going to say, I want you guys to leave like right now. And so ask the Egyptians for, you know, gold and silver, they'll give it to you. It wasn't chaos. I mean, it was an amazing night. Can you imagine trying to assemble two to three million people to leave in one night? And so that's what they would do. But it wasn't a riot. Don't picture that the children of Israel run around stealing gold and silver out of the homes of the Egyptians. The Egyptians gave it to them. The Lord said, go and ask the Egyptians. So they weren't stealing. They were receiving that from the Egyptians. They were saying, go, 
Take the gold and silver and go before our nation is destroyed, before we're all dead. And so they would go in orderly ranks. And as we go through the book of Numbers, and we'll have uh, uh, an illustration up here when we see that they set up camp, but they would go in a certain order. And as they would set up camp, uh, they would set up camp in a certain order as well. And we'll talk about that more as we continue on the book of Exodus. So it isn't like Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you know, just chaos and a bunch of people wandering around. I mean, this is a lot of people, two to three million people that we're talking about. But they left orderly and in ranks. And we know that the Lord, he does things decently and in order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So he desires for our own lives to have order in it, for us to, to look at how he desires for us to live. And so he comes along and he says, listen, this is how I put things in order. And when it comes to the family, I want the man to be the head of the family. I want him to be the head of the wife. Not that he's better or superior to the wife, but this is how I divinely have ordained it, that husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and you're to be the head of the wife. You're to love her as Christ loves the church, serving her, and you are to be doing it in humility, and you're to be doing it with cherishing her and loving her. We've talked about this as we went through that text in Ephesians. But you are to lay down your life for her, but you are to be the head. And it's a great responsibility. And so he's given us responsibility as parents to our children. Children, you're to obey your parents. You're to honor your father and mother. There's, there's you know, guidelines given to us in the workplace and all of this. So he wants us to live our lives decently and in order. That is, where there isn't confusion and chaos in our lives all the time and how we live it. So the Lord wants us to, to have that in our lives and also in the ministry. We try to minister in in do things according to God's word. And that's our guideline here. And so we want to do things in our own ministry and in the ministry here at Calvary Chapel decently in order. So when service starts at 7 o'clock, we start at 7 o'clock. We try to have things set up and the lights on and things ready to go and, and um, things in place. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfectly. We always experience a hiccup in, in a service or you know a, a mic goes bad or... We have to find a last-minute replacement, perhaps, for somebody teaching children. But we want to do everything that we can decently in order that when you come in, you know that we're going to start at 7 o'clock. You're going to receive a bulletin that, that things are going to be clean. You're not going to walk into dirty bathrooms, that the children are going to be checked in. There's going to be people there and in the nursery. And it doesn't mean that we can't be open and flexible to the leading of the Spirit in the service. But we do do our services to where there isn't just confusion and chaos and well I don't come up and say you know what what do you guys want to do you know should we just have a jam session tonight or should we just you know what do you want to talk about we want to do things in a way that pleases the Lord to where he is magnified where he has learned about where to focus is on him and so we do that in the ministry in our own lives we do it in the ministry here how we live our lives to do things in our orderly fashion and so they would leave in an orderly fashion here out of Egypt into the wilderness um, we also see in the text here that um, just as it was requested from Joseph that he be buried uh, there in the promised land and so he made that request back in Genesis chapter 50 right before he died and of course it would be just his bones because um, they had been in the land 
the children of Israel, with Jacob coming with his family and sons, 75, for 430 years. So Acts chapter 7, Stephen's account also indicates to us that Jacob's sons, that they were also, their bones taken as well and, and, and buried in the promised land. So here their bones were taken, and then also we know, of course, that there would be that pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day that would go before them and leading them. And so for the next 40 years, the tangible presence of God is going to be leading the children of Israel. It's the only nation that the presence of God is seen. And so that pillar of, of cloud by day, and it would shade them because they're going into a hot, hot desert. And a pillar of light by night. And, and, and it was there, the Shekinah glory of God in their midst. And whenever that pillar moved, then the children of Israel, they would move. And whenever it stopped, then they would stop and set up camp with the tabernacle being in the middle of the camp. And then for 40 years, again, whenever that, that pillar moved, they would follow that. And it's symbolic of us because we are, as Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are the only people that have the living God living inside of us. And God is in our midst. And he desires to lead us by his Holy Spirit, doesn't he? In that still small voice, we have God's word that gives us guidance, but he also guides us as well, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, living in us and guiding us and directing us and speaking to us in that still small voice. And so God's people here with the pillar of, of cloud by uh, day and pillar of fire by night leading the children of Israel, and now they leave Egypt and they go into the wilderness. Chapter 14, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and uh, the sea opposite Baal-Saphon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will purpose them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And so we see that God tells Moses, Go by way of the sea. You're not going to go by way of the Philistines. But Pharaoh, he's going to see as you go that I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to think, hey, look at the children of Israel. They're between two mountain ranges here, Pi-Hiroth and Migdal, and they got the Red Sea to their backs. They're confused. Why did we let them go? So let's go after them. We know the story here, don't we? I think most people know this story of Exodus chapter 14, where God's going to deliver his people and drown the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And so God would put the children of Israel, his people, in that spot for a reason. That he may be glorified. That the children of Israel would see his mighty arm again working for them that he keeps his promises. He told them in the previous chapter, didn't he? I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey. And all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where it seemed like they're going to get wiped out. So God's going to show that I'm true to my promises, what I swore to your fathers, that I'm going to, didn't bring you out here in the wilderness for you just to die and be trampled over by the Egyptian chariots. But also that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And, of course, it is this very chapter, this event that takes place, 
that it would be known throughout history and the other nations what the Lord had done, that I may gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army, and they may know that I am the Lord. In verse 5, now it was told the king of Egypt that people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? And why have we let Israel go from serving us? We left, you know, we lost all our slaves, and let's go after them. So verse 6, he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he also took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. In verse 9, so the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-hiroth before Baal-Saphon. And so here they are, they camped out by the Red Sea. And all of a sudden we see that Pharaoh says, you know what, go after them. 600 chariots. 600 chariots are going to come after them. It's like 600 tanks coming after them. Children of Israel, they don't have any weapons. They got some picks and some shovels, and they got their trials from, you know, working with bricks and making bricks, but they don't have a whole lot. They got children and, and all of this. And so all of a sudden they see this, this massive army coming as they hear the noise of the chariots. And so verse 10, And Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And so their hearts sank, I'm sure. As they lifted their eyes and they saw the Egyptians, they began to cry out to the Lord. But it didn't last very long because verse 11, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with, um, with us to bring us out of Egypt? And is it not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that, than that we should die in the wilderness. So what they do is they cry out to the Lord, but then they begin to murmur against Moses. And they said, Moses, why would you bring us out here? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? We told you when you first came, and you came to Pharaoh and said, Let the children of Israel go. And Pharaoh said, You know what? You guys are too idle and, and don't you know, have too much time on your hands. So I'm going to make your work harder. So you got to go out and find your own straw, keep the same quota, and remember the burdens of the affliction and bondage that they are in got worse. And they told Moses and Aaron, you've made things worse. And we went over those chapters in, in that section where the Lord said, now you're going to see what I can do to Pharaoh. And they saw what the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and bringing the plagues down and, and those ten plagues. And now they've been released. Now they're backed up against the Red Sea. And they look to the, the chariots and they say, oh no, these chariots, they're going to kill us. We're trapped. There's nowhere to go. And they said, Moses, we want to go back to the world. And they were full of fear and distrust. Oftentimes, that's the way people and even Christians can react when there is difficulty or danger. And just as the children of Israel were full of distrust and fear, the Lord desires for us that we react in a way that we're not full of fear, that we're not full of distrust, but we are trusting Him and resting in Him. And so that's the message that Moses says to the people in verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe that you feel like you're backed up in a situation and there's nowhere to go. And you see that. It seems like the world's about ready to roll over you. The problem with the children of Israel is they didn't lift their eyes high enough. They needed to lift it up a little higher to the Lord. And say, Lord, you made a promise to us. And Lord, you're going to give us that land. And you're going to give us your law. And you brought us out here in the wilderness not to be killed by the Egyptians. But Lord, we're going to trust in you. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Because you're our salvation. You've redeemed us. And you will rescue us. And you will be a keeper of your promises. He gave a promise to them. And so the Lord would say to you tonight, whatever you might be facing, don't be afraid. Now, how many times in the scripture does he say, don't be afraid? He says it many, many times. He said to Joshua, when he went into promised land, Joshua, don't be afraid. He would say to David, don't be afraid. He would say to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, speak my word, don't be afraid. He would say to so many, to Paul the Apostle, when he was in Corinth, he said, Paul, uh, don't be afraid. For no one's going to hurt you, and I'm going to do a mighty work because there are many people that belong to me here. And so Paul the Apostle was establishing the promise of the Lord. I'm with you, Paul, and no one's going to hurt you, Paul. You don't have to be afraid. And it's a message for you and for me here tonight because we become anxious, don't we? We become afraid. And we need to stand still in those times and know that he is God, that he loves us, And he's going to work for us. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, that I will bring you peace. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but through everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why can't we pray with, with and give our supplications with thanksgiving? Because he's rescued us. Because he's almighty God. And he sees us and he hears us and he knows the spot that we're in. And he desires to work in our lives. That we may see his faithfulness and that people may see the glory of God working in us. The the goodness of God working in us and the faithfulness of God. And so one of the hardest things to do in a crisis that you're in and in the middle of is to stand still. But realize this, Christians, there's no safer place to be than to stand still and to look to God. Now, Moses stands up and he says, all right, he says, you know, stand still and, and know um, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. You're not going to see the Egyptians no more. It, it was Moses that stood up and was strong. So I think there's another application for us here today. We are told several times in the scriptures to be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord. And there are times where you and I need to be strong in the Lord, especially when people, or even when we're in the midst of it ourselves, and we're with people that are going through difficulties or find themselves or ourselves in a hard spot, for us to stand up to say to our families, say to our children, maybe co-workers at work as things slow down or whoever it might be, and be strong in the Lord and speak of the goodness of the Lord. Be strong and step forward. And that's what Moses does. 
So it isn't, uh, look how tough I am, and I eat glass and, and um, you know, spit nails and all of this. It's being strong in the Lord, just relying on Him and trusting in Him. And Lord, I know that you're going to work, and I don't know what is going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month, but today I know that you are going to be faithful and seeing me through, and then you be strong for others in times where they you know, are in crisis or in difficulty. And so we wanted to look to God. They don't have any options here. They couldn't go anywhere. And they needed to turn to the Lord. And it's a good time when people are stuck in a place that we can say you turn to God, you look to Him. And, and He will be faithful when you cry out to Him, when you turn to Him, when you seek Him. And so verse 15, I like verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on here. But Moses stands up and he says, Be still. See the salvation of the Lord. You're no longer going to see the Egyptians. And then I kind of picture him kind of saying, Just a minute. And he goes behind the rock and he's going, Lord, this really doesn't look good right now. What are we going to do? (laughs) I mean, that would probably be me. Lord, what? All right, what's the plan here? I just told them, be still. See the salvation of the Lord. They're not going to see the Egyptians, but, you know, it's a natural reaction. Moses is human here. It's a little different than the Charlton Heston, you know, standing up and, why are you crying out to me, Moses? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to get going. need to move forward. You need to move forward. Understand that in the trials and difficulties, we move forward. All right? We don't retreat back to the world. The people are going to say over and over again when they find themselves in a difficult situation, we want to go back to Egypt. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? It's your fault. You know what? We want to go back to Egypt. It was more comfortable. We had meat there. We had, you know, bread that was there. Why would you bring us out here? You move forward. You move forward. Because that's what the Lord wants you to do. You move forward in the Lord. And so here they're going to move forward as he's going to guide them and provide and rescue them. And you know the story is verse 16, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before them, and he stood behind them. And so here we see that the Lord... Here was is working in a way that that he was going um, before them. He was also going behind them. You see, not only is he guiding them, but he's also guarding them. And it's the same with you and with me. He not only is going to guide you, but he's your guardian as well. He's going to guard you. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians, verse twenty, and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. I mean, two to three million people. It's going to take a long time to cross the Red Sea here. And so verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. 
and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them in the right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down at the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels, so they, they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea. The waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen's. And when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Again, it's something that, that is very familiar. Even non-Christians are familiar with this story and have heard of this story. There are those who don't like to believe in miracles of the Bible, so they will say, well, you know what? This was um, just not the Red Sea. It's a mistranslation. It's the Reed Seed, R-E-E-D. It's a swampy area there in the Sinai Peninsula. So as soon as they left Succoth, they went through the swampy area. It's about 18 inches of water, and so the wind came along, and, and you know they were able to cross very easily. It's, it's very specific here. It's the Red Sea. There was a wall of water on both sides. They crossed on dry land. And the thing about it is you can't get away from a miracle if you want to come up with an explanation like that, that they just crossed 18 inches of the Red Sea because how did the Egyptian army drown? In 18 inches of water? So it doesn't make sense, you see. And it's interesting that there's been some teams, archaeologists in, in a, a Swedish research team, um, that has gone in, and um, they found in the Red Sea perhaps one of the, the routes of the Exodus that, you know, if you were to, to take the water out of the Red Sea, it would be a very steep drop. And, and you guys saw this in the video that we showed in search of the real Mount Sinai. But there's a natural bridge there where they believe where they crossed. Wide natural breast, br- bridge where it's a gentle drop off, and it was, you know, if the seas parted, that they just cross on dry land on that bridge over to the other side. So God made that bridge there, and there's been some research done where they dropped some you know, cameras down, and it looks like coral has grown what looks like chariot wheels. And God troubled here the Egyptian chariots. The wheels are falling off. I mean, what good is a chariot if the wheel falls off? And here are the Egyptians. They pursued as the children of Israel cross on dry land. There was a wall on both sides. What a sight that must have been. Can you imagine that? I mean, this wall of water. The wind's blowing. And they're crossing in a pillar of fire, you know, behind them and keeping the Egyptians. What an amazing sight that must have been. Can you imagine the Egyptian commander saying, okay, let us go? I think I would have said, I don't think so. Talk about running down a dark alley. And it says in Psalm 77, in verses 16 through 19, that one of the ways, not only did the Egyptian wheels fall off, but the way that the Lord troubled them, there was rain, there was lightning, there was an earthquake, there was thunder. And it must have been very, very frightening. And then all of a sudden, the crashing of the wall of water all around them. That they may know that I am the Lord. Every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow. 
confess that Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we have come in humility. We are here tonight and said, You are Lord and be my Lord personally. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and I thank you for that, Lord. The Egyptians found out that he is the Lord the hard way. And so it reminds me, as we are familiar with this, that one way or another, people are going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether they do it in their life or they're going to do it at the great white throne judgment. So we need to pray for people. Because this shows us that God's judgment does come. God's mercy and His grace and His love is everlasting, is supreme, but it also He is a God that will bring judgment to those who reject Him. So we need to pray for those. We need to pray for unbelievers, our neighbors and family members and others who have not submitted their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the waters, verse 28, returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaohs that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw a great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And so, Father, we thank you that as we look at this story that we're so familiar with, that perhaps we've heard since we were a child, that, that, Lord, we can look at it again and we can learn and we can ponder and we can make application. And So, Father, I pray that we would always in our lives remember how you, with an outstretched arm, that you have redeemed us, the outstretched arms of Jesus on Calvary's cross by his blood, our Passover lamb, and how you've redeemed us out of the world, and how you desire to follow after you and be guided by you, by the Holy Spirit, and how when we find ourselves in, in circumstances that are hard or difficult or whatever it might be, that we can look to you and trust you. So, Father, I pray that all of us, that we would, Lord, as, as I know that most of us, if not all of us, have a personal relationship with Jesus, but if there is anyone that's here or in the coffee shop that has not submitted their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father, believing in their hearts that He died for them personally, that He is the Son of God and rose again and that He's alive, they can do so right now by just praying in their hearts, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross to redeem me by your blood. So forgive me because I have sinned. And I come in faith believing that it's true what you have done and who you are. And I believe that you are alive. Be my Lord and Savior. I humble myself and come to you tonight. And for all of us, as we confess that and believe in our hearts that, that, Lord, that we would just trust in you wherever we find ourselves here tonight. That as we continue the worship, that, Lord, that we would just um, worship with a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of, that says, I trust you, Lord, and I believe in you. And, Lord, that you, your word is true and that you are faithful to keep that. And so, Lord, guide me and strengthen me.
So continue to minister to your people. Strengthen those who need strength and comfort tonight. And Lord, direction that you would just continue to minister as we just come to you and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to worship for a few more minutes. And then if you need any prayer...